This episode is sponsored by Amazon Web Services. AWS is committed to sustainability. It's good for the planet, business, and communities. Learn more about AWS sustainability goals at aws.bpc.digital forward slash sustainability. From GreenBiz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here at GreenBiz 23 in Scottsdale, Arizona. On this week's edition, the sounds of GreenBiz 23, Salesforce and Microsoft get creative about clean energy procurement, how designing a climate justice course challenged one sustainability professional's binary thinking, and a guide to finding sustainability jobs online. We're swiping right this week on 350. It's February 17th, 2023. Welcome to another episode of Green Biz 350. Always so glad to have you with us. And joining me here from the JW Marriott Camelback Inn in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's Heather Clancy. Hi, Heather. Hello. About two feet away from you. Yeah, yeah. that far away. <laughs> Although I haven't seen you that much uh, the last uh, this week. Um, how are you? How did you? How did you make it through this really intense week? With uh, a coat, yeah. <laughs> because it's been chilly. But in all seriousness, um, I just immersed myself and let myself listen and not try to judge right away and also picked very intentionally a few sessions that I wanted to focus on and some conversations that I wanted to focus on and asking sort of the same questions of um, more than one individual just to, to test my thinking, to understand what was on their mind. And that's that to me, as the conference gets substantially bigger, it's, it's the way to navigate. Um, and, you know, I also spent some time and was very gratified to see a lot of the uh, 30 under 30 alum that were on the on sessions and breakouts. Um, I spent some time with them midweek for a dinner just to catch up and, and find out how our coverage could oh, cool. could really um, be applied to yeah. them. So yeah, and then uh, I mean just the fact that we had uh, you know over 1,800 people there, about uh, 400 more than last year, and. And we had to turn away some hundreds more mm -hmm. that wanted to come just because of, uh, you know, things like the physics of space and, uh, oh, yeah, the fire marshals. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was, uh, but it was packed and it was fun. I think, I think pe people just, you know, it, it's always been this case, but it seems even more so as the community gets bigger and bigger, they really want to come together and, and see one another and share um, in ways that you just can't do online. And, and, um, and of course, we really lean into that, give them lots of opportunities to network and interact and a small table or big table or just massive, you know, room full. And so uh, they, they really appreciate that. Can I say how much I appreciated and anyone who's listening to this, everyone that came from outside the country? Mm. There were quite a few international representatives from yeah. companies that I ran into way more than I have in the past. And it was noticed and appreciated because you're point of view, as we know, multinationals are multinational and we need all points of view, all regional points of view. So I really like that. Yeah. And um, 
also the diversity is getting better. It's still not where it, it, it should be. But it, on stage, it was really good. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I think I was one of the very few white males on stage, mm-hmm. on the main stage, mm-hmm. uh, at least. And, um, and kudos to... Uh, Dylan Siegler, who uh, who organized the event, oversaw it, and and really you know masterminded the program, and um, she really, uh, as we try to do as a company, and she really leaned into is the diversity of the speakers, and you know not quite as well reflected in the audience, but it's as you said getting there. But yeah, it, it was good. Um, I, I, can I tell you about the the comms summit? Yes, that we did? because I missed it. Um... Yeah. Somewhat intentionally, because it's always my inclination to want to write about things, and it yeah. was under Chatham House rules, so yeah. I, I kind of intentionally stayed away. But I heard it was phenomenal. It was it went really well. This was a first time thing, and I'm sure it's not the last, whether it's in this form or another. But uh, this is on on communi- sustainability communications, which, if you've been following any of the things I've been writing, is have done uh, a bit of writing on, including this week. Um, but uh, we did something kind of interesting, which is we had these, we call them 360 working sessions where we did we did one each day, one B to B and one B to C. And we'd take uh, the, the audience, about 170 people in the audience, and they got uh, one of three different sort of case study scenarios to workshop at the tabletop level. Uh, they were messaging um, briefs in effect. But before they did that, we had a panel of a lawyer and, a, and an activist and a journalist and uh, customer kind of one consumer one b2b and they would talk about what they would be looking for uh as they listened to the report outs of these working groups and then uh and then they reported out and then the the same panel gave feedback said okay this is what i like and didn't like and it was really fun and useful and the panelists were great um and they were role-playing to some extent i mean one one of them was uh, uh, a sustainability executive who happens to be a lawyer and so he was playing his lawyer role in that particular one um, and it's just, I think it's a format we're going to want to revisit because it just, it was a, something that, you know, really got them to work together and then learn about, you know, get real-time feedback from, from pros. Mm-hmm. So I, I was very pleased with that. Thanks for ev- to everybody who participated in that, who, uh, were, you know, played, did the role playing and who, and who just, uh, was at the tabletops, just leaning in and, and doing the work. So that was, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, um, in this episode, you're going to play some clips from the main stage. Yes, I'll be uh, introducing them in the privacy of my own room because yeah. I need to still go through them. But yes, yeah. I, have, I have about five that I would want to introduce. As of this recording, you hadn't yet gotten there. So nope. you'll, you'll add those later. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's that. Uh, you'll hear more on that. But let's, let's just look at some of the coverage uh, we did in general uh, with the Week in Review. Well, as we often do, Heather, let's start off with a piece you wrote, <laughs> which is good. It's not a, it's just an observation. It's, it's not a judgment um, about uh, Salesforce and Microsoft and their clean energy procurement uh, innovations. Uh, yeah. Do tell. So this is a, a story that I decided to <laughs> aggregate, if you will. They're two separate developments, one of which, thank you, Salesforce, was announced during GreenBiz because, hey, this is the week of sustainability. So why not? Thank you for that. But um, they really represent two different sort of focuses in the future of procurement. Um, one, one thing which, which actually, to, to be fair, Microsoft has done a really good job at themselves, but Salesforce is um, starting to buy 
renewables outside of the United States. They, most of their deals have tended to be very North American focused, as is the case with, with many of these corporate um, power purchase agreements. But they're using a new, um, a new format called the Distributed Renewable Energy Certificates, which enables them to buy into a, hmm. a, a portfolio of projects instead of one project. And what this is enabling them to do is look outside uh, the country of, of the United States into places like Brazil, India, mm -hmm. Southeast Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, and identify projects that are um, have a very um, uh, serious and obvious climate justice bent. So that these are going to communities that don't, maybe don't have any electricity at all. They need, um, or maybe they're being switched. One of the one of the projects is they're being switched off of diesel generators. Um, creating jobs, creating jobs for women, um, you know, gender e equity is a big thing. So this is a new um, approach for Salesforce that I thought was uh, worth noting. It, it's it's taking them out. And I think it's one, I think we're going to see more companies doing this as we look to the places that really need renewables. Yeah. No, I love this uh, distributed renewable energy, because it's DREX. DREX. Um, and, and I love the way that they're um, marrying the social and environmental and intentionally. And, and I, I imagine it, it's much harder to do, uh, to go well out of your way to do these things. Um, did you talk about that at all? It is. Um, it, it takes more time. They're going to be absolutely more expensive. Yeah. Um, there's not as much, you, you can't get as much bang for your buck, if you will. You're not getting as much power. You, so you've got to do a lot of smaller deals, which is obviously the distributed um, format, but yeah, they're they're um, spending time doing that. But Megan um, Lorenzen, who I spoke with about this, um, she actually wrote uh, something called "More Than a Megawatt." It's a it's a sort of a procurement guide. Um, yeah. She wrote this a little while ago, and this is sort of the first expression of some of the the philosophies in there, which Great. is how you look um, very much tied to uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals, jobs creation, and also verification. They need the verification. Their partner Power Trust is very focused on that. So they're they're um, being validated and verified. Okay, so that's Salesforce. What about Microsoft? So Microsoft, this totally separate deal, different a um, couple of weeks ago, uh, making a strategic alliance with a company called QCells. They're, the parent company is based in South Korea. And the uh, North American division of this company is investing at least two and a half billion to build manufacturing, solar, manufacturing in rural Georgia. So it's like a big deal. Um, it's tied very much to the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, it represents the domestic solar supply chain that we need to build up. And what Microsoft um, began talking to this company about a year, a little bit more than a year ago, Brian Janice told me, um, and they really wanted to, to look at how they could make sure that they had supply, right? Because supply has been a big issue for some of these deals. It, um, both because of supply chain disruptions, as well as, of course, the tariffs that are coming into play um, for pan from, on panels from China. And now there's some others pending um, potentially on other countries that, mm. that are related to the Chinese supply chain. So just a really like unusual relationship. It doesn't so this doesn't mean that these this company is developing all of those projects for Microsoft, but they're going to be participating in projects that Microsoft wants to do, and they're going to have the supply. So the, um, you know, Microsoft tells me that the the developers are happy because they they know that they're, they're going to have the ability to build them quicker, and that's the this sort of 
speed and flexibility was the, yeah. the name of the game. Well, let's turn to another story that's kind of related in that it has to do with equity and, and uh, sustainability. Um, and the, the intersection of those two, or the, or the mashup, if you will, of those two, <laughs> uh, by a woman named Ar Aruki Tower, uh, who's a sustainability manager at Soft Choice, but she's writing about a uh, course that she teaches, uh, I guess. It doesn't say where. It, Seneca College. Oh, it, Seneca it, College. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's part of the Sustainable oh, Toronto. Business yeah. Management Program. Yeah. There you go. I, I, I didn't see that immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I think it's interesting because it really speaks to how much the uh, climate movement and the social equity movement are still kind of disconnected dots. Mm -hmm. And and this is, as she writes an essay about her own experience and and how she, you know, herself could not, didn't see that connection much. And she'd worked in climate field for half dozen years and had a lot of experience in corporate uh, greenhouse gas reporting and sustainability roadmaps and EH, ESG, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and she, you know, didn't recognize the how, particularly in Canada. I mean, the indigenous lands, indigenous First Nations, uh, yeah. First Nations and uh, and and their connection there. I mean, it's one of those eye openers. Uh, you know, I, I we had somebody at uh, at the Nature Forum that we did at Verge back in October from up uh, First Nations uh, who uh, lives up in the Northwest Territories who. Um, he's really talking about how much of, of biodiversity resides on on indigenous lands yeah. around the world, and, uh, and so anyway, it's, it's, for those for, for for some people it's obvious and it's 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 really close to home. It is home, but it's, I love it when people connect uh, the dots and these little little light bulbs go off. So two things really, and she by the way, thank you, Anarit. Um She came through the our editor email. Um, I don't know her, and she pitched this piece, and I thought it was just extraordinarily well. It was very thoughtful, and it was also very humble, mm. because she herself is an immigrant to Canada. She came, she was raised in Dubai, and she went there for education. So she came, and as she was learning her, you know, studying for her citizenship, is when she had this epiphany, and she felt so strongly about it that um, when they were approaching someone at the college to teach on it she she really immersed herself into the into the subject and and that took a lot of courage and um i just love that she did that the other thing that i i just want to point out is this is not something that's optional you pointed out the the biodiversity angle but like and this is related of course but so much of the materials that we need for solar panels and batteries are the the minerals and the rare earths are on the new new the greenfield ones yeah. are on tribal lands yeah and we need that cooperation and or permission and or collaboration yeah. to, to do that and it, sort of coincidentally somebody told me uh just this week that some of the the largest mining uh center in the world is british columbia mm -hmm. uh, i didn't realize that mm -hmm. they're big on, on copper yeah. and, and and a number of other uh, metals. Um, Alberta is, yeah. yeah, as well. But but B yeah. BC, which is you know forested and mm -hmm. often considered the sort of the California of uh, <laughs> of, of Canada, uh, you know, is is actually a big big mining yep. territory. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so the the indigenous lands, and of course this is not limited to Canada. No, nope. uh, but the you know what we're seeing, it's and and we've uh, talked a lot about that this week here at Greenbiz Twenty Three. Um, the you know trying to bring climate justice and corporate sustainability 
together and in, at least in people's minds and hopefully in corporate practices and in the partnerships and things that come out of that because you know i mean mining it's 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 company mm-hmm. supply chains it's mm-hmm. the things we're speaking on right now microphones and and computers it's all comes from those minds and so we need to be so i i you know kudos to this piece that to uh uh Enrit, uh for um for forwarding this piece to us offering this piece to us and uh and and I love it. Good luck to her in 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 her studies and her students too. And her students and speaking Go, of students, yep. uh, return to another story <laughs> uh, from a student at Bard College in the MBA program in sustainability, Michelle Abudi. I love these pieces when somebody you know comes up with some just good practical information, the kind of stuff that you know that uh, uh, just really breaks down some part of either the the, the job market in this case or sometimes the. The uh, Trish Kenlin, uh, who's has yeah. done these great pieces on sustainability certifications and fellowships and things like that. This is specifically around uh, kind of a, a, a boot camp, a one-on-one thing, and it's part of the higher H I R E higher learning uh, series that we have on GreenBiz. Breaks down the um, the kinds of jobs, and and again, the thing I really like about this is that she's these are not what most students and most people either think about as the traditional sustainability jobs as things in procurement and supply chain and 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 strategy and you know and, and also you know in the world of startups and nonprofits. Um, but certainly on the corporate side, you know, most people think, well, procurement, what does that have to do with sustainability? And of course, you know, companies, some big companies have, you know, five, ten, ten or more, more billion dollar annual spends of stuff that they're buying and they have enormous clout to make mm-hmm. a difference. And as Guy Barcianas, the CSO of, of Anheuser-Busch AB yeah. InBev, is reports to the procurement yeah. team, yeah. the supply chain team. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so so lots of, of, of great stories. What, anything, any big ahas from this? No, I'm just, I, I mean, I really think it's it's just practical, good practical information. Um, I, I did get a big chuckle at the bottom. The um, Yeah, I know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> it's just, she, and I, you know, yes. I mean, she chuckles when she sees roles requiring 15 to 20 years of experience in circularity and sometimes in, even in sustainability. It's like, yeah. Okay. Fifteen years in, in circular economy? Nah, yeah, probably not. I, so I mean, I think I think you know, for, but but her her advice is for the, the the applicants. Like, don't let it deter you. You know, and I I would say that too. I've seen. I have to say, I've made a couple hires recently myself that I would not. You know, totally out of the box. So don't you know? Take a chance. You know, definitely if you have these skills in procurement or in um, you know training engagement you know yeah. the, the the ability to help all the employees across an organization understand something and, and pull it into the culture i think it's just yeah it's a great yeah great practical piece and by the way one little self-interested plug here is that uh we've got about 15 job openings right now at greenbiz oh, yes. and if you go to greenbiz.com and scroll down to the the very bottom there's that's called a footer of the black the white type on black you'll see one that says careers at greenbiz go to that page and check out from your editorial team, Heather, to uh, the analyst team, all the sales data and customer success, uh, conference coordinators, lots of opportunities in our fast growing company. 
As Joel mentioned earlier in the episode, we're going to close out this edition with four highlights from the stage, the main stage at GreenBiz 23. I'm going to start first with Allison Rittenauer, CEO of 7th Generation. She spoke on the urgency of this moment and why it's important for companies to hold the line when market forces conspire against their strategies. Interestingly, uh, this has been a tough market for us. I think for any of you out there that are in the business of creating and selling products, I think it's been kind of a wild ride. And interestingly, our our shift and our reframe over the last couple of years has really been around holding the line and not allowing others to take a step back. So while we see, you know, ingredients and materials getting more expensive, even in the sustainability space, how do we make sure that those aren't sacrificed in this moment? So we really just need to keep continuing to hold the bar, and the bar changes a little bit as we go, but that's how we see our role right now. You know, I love your comment about making sure that you're holding the line, and you know, we heard from the framing earlier from the GreenBiz folks that we can't deny that's important, climate justice, social justice, but how do you keep that sense of urgency? How do you make us move faster to really solve the problems that are in front of us? Yeah, I, I guess as I see it, like, we don't really have a choice. I think about like my high school soccer coach who was like, no excuses, just results. And like, I kind of think that's where we are right now, right? <laughs> like we need to do the work. Um, so even for a company like Seven Generation that was really born into this business model, it's required extreme focus for us over the last couple of years to really make sure that we know exactly what we need to do right now. So I think um, one of our biggest initiatives over the last year has been aligning 100% of our company towards climate solutions. This means every product that we make is concentrated, high-performing concentration. We're educating our consumers around how to use concentrated products. Our advocacy is really holding the bar around climate justice and keeping fossil fuels in the ground. And our philanthropic giving is going to those frontline communities who are doing the good work towards climate and environmental justice. And so even for a company like ours that are in this space, we had to get focused right now to make sure that our impact really, really matters. And it was one thing for me as a leader to put that down on paper. I think it's been another for folks to really see it as their responsibility. Allison was in conversation with Tanisha Boya Robinson, president and CEO of CAPEQ. And she spoke about the intersection of ESG and DEI and how companies can be much more authentic in marrying the two, a big theme at this conference. And I think one of the barriers that I see in terms of what's keeping us from having a sense of urgency is kind of siloing this concept of ESG and DEI. So environmental, social, and governance, a lot of times what I see from companies is it's really big on the E, and we're kind of like not talking about the S and G, right? And the, the reason why people are like, mm, I don't have anything to say about that is because it's directly connected to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when you think about whether it's climate or other issues like transportation, clean water, workforce, so many of the inequities that we see in the world around us comes from intentionally excluding groups, as it was mentioned before. So you can't, inter- you can't separate them. So then how do you make sure that that work is not bolted on, but it's built in to what you do? And what we tend to advise organizations is you have three levers to pull. It's how you make your money, how you spend your money, and how you invest in your people. Is your business model actively promoting things that actually drive change? 
Are you spending intentionally recognizing that you have to buy this couch, you have to buy that podium? Whose communities are benefiting when you do that? Um, and how are you looking at investing in people as not a matching game, not about, as I affectionately call, butts and seats, but really about making sure that there are people in positions of decision-making authority that can help drive the changes we want to see? And the reason why that's so important is there are people every day who are being excluded from decision-making authorities who are living what it's like to live in communities, who have been pillaged from not having folks who would be really intentional about climate, who are living in communities who don't have access to water. And so we're leaving not just talent, but innovation on the table where we're not really intentional about marrying those two things. Up next is Vien Trung. Global Sustainability Senior Director of Engagement at Nike, part of a panel about collective action. And Vienne speaks about the way that you can scale community engagement across the company and how you get leaders involved. I've learned to continue to be dogged and determined, for sure, uh, continue to stay passionate about this issue. But more than that, what I've learned is there's a number of others inside of the company who care deeply as well. And some who really care deeply but want to learn even more. So what we have learned to do is we brought in leaders to help speak to our employee resource groups, to really bring people who are interested but not yet sure how to engage. And so, for instance, we brought in African-American leaders to our black employee resource group. We brought in Latinx leaders from different NGOs across the board, uh, leaders who are um, uh, LGBTQ, Latinx, uh, women, Asian descent, and coming into employee resource groups to say, what is climate change doing to our communities? Mm. How do we better understand it? And how do we continue to amplify and collaborate with them uh, as we move forward? And actually, it has been hugely encouraging how excited employee resource groups have been and continue to invest in these organizations. On top of that, we have the benefit of having leaders who care deeply about these issues, including our CEO, who came in with this as being one of his top priorities. So that really helps unlock solutions across the board. We have to make sure that we have the ability to work across the board with leaders who are just passionate about this issue and find solutions across the board. That's where innovation really continues. And we'll close with Tamara Tolis O'Laughlin, founder of Climate Critical Earth. And she spoke about some data regarding the burnout phenomenon among climate activists and corporate sustainability professionals and why it's so concerning at this moment and why every one of us needs to think about it and address it. So we spent a lot of time talking to all the folks we know across the work and did a survey, an international and national survey, on burnout, just this question. We asked people, are you feeling it? Is it real? How can we help you? And whose help would you accept? Among a couple of other questions and got some interesting things. The information's still coming in, so I'm going to give you five high-level like, takeaways that you can think about as you go back to your places of employment to hopefully make them places that aren't in the crosshairs of this conversation. So the first thing we thought about is that we should probably admit that burnout is everywhere and it's pervasive. Everybody, nearly every single person we talk to in 104 different constellations inside climate and environment as a movement all came in very, very, very burnt out, very, very burnt out, or very burnt out. I, just, I mean, at this point, you might call a report toast when it comes out, just to make it easier for people. Like, yes, you read it, everyone's burnt out. So what makes that really interesting is that all four groups of people who are currently in the workplace fall into this category. That's even scarier because the folks that we rely on to do this work are such a massive group. 
we are in the middle of the everyone. Like, I will talk a little bit more about who that is, but these folks are also depleted, disillusioned, distancing themselves from the work, and these are the people we rely on, not just today, but to design tomorrow. This is really important because we're about to lose a lot of people in the workplace, a lot of really great people with experience who actually have other things they could do. So flagging that this is happening, the great retirement is upon us. 75 million boomers are going to retire by 2030. That's happening at the same time as quiet quitting, quiet firing, the looming recession, people who are still stuck in what happened to them in the last recession. We don't really have the kind of human capital it would take to win if we don't get better at this really quickly. The third thing, not everybody's experiencing it the same way. If you notice, I'm wearing this mask because I'm a part of a community of people who has multiple kinds of vulnerable. So I cannot afford to take my fancy behind back to them with an illness if I don't have to. So flagging that not everyone is experiencing the crisis we're all in in the same way, it means black, indigenous, people of color, folks with marginalized communities, people whose bodies are failing them because of COVID, let's just be honest, are also experiencing systemic blind spots, which means the work they do isn't being seen at a time when we need everybody's innovation. So as we're getting close to the end, I want to flag that sad, fun, interesting fact that made me feel a lot of weird things when I saw it. Even though everyone's burnt out, no one wants to leave this work. 63% of the people we surveyed said that they love people and planet so much that they're going to do it anyway, which is actually hugely problematic for those of us who actually want to win because the burnout cycle means people are not at their best, they're not in right relationship, they can't possibly understand their hypervigilance and what that does to other people. So as much as it's really supportive that people see the problem, we need people to really take better care of themselves in order to help the us. Like this photo proves it's not them who's experiencing burnout, it's us. That's a big group of people. I encourage you to keep an eye on our YouTube channel for the complete sessions as they are posted in the coming weeks. Thank you. And that's our 350 podcast for this week. Go to greenbiz.com slash 350 and you'll find more about the organization's stories and events we mentioned this week. You will also can see some of the main stage uh, live stream uh, archived on, uh, on the homepage of greenbiz.com. We'll, they'll be breaking those up into individual segments coming up in the next few weeks. And also while you're on Greenbiz, check out our free weekly newsletters. They're a great way to stay up to date all week long. Just go to greenbiz.com slash newsletters to sign up. We love to hear from you, don't we, Heather? Your comments, questions, and tips. Hit us up, 350 at greenbiz.com. I'll be off next week, but Heather and climate tech reporter Leah Garden will be here with another edition of Green Biz 350. Until then, from all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. We'll see you next time. This episode is sponsored by Amazon Web Services, where success and scale bring broad responsibility and big companies have a bigger obligation to protect the planet. Learn more at aws.bpc.digital forward slash sustainability.